save the date on your calendar. That's the reason I'm showing it up front here a month in advance. Uh, today is Connect Group Sunday, and that is Genuine Christian Community Sunday. And this is where we launch our connect groups. Our vision here at the Gathering Place is a thousand strong. It's not a thousand people strong, it's a thousand strong people. A thousand people who are unashamed of Jesus Christ, that are about the kingdom of God, that have kingdom homes, and want to advance the kingdom wherever you work, play, and uh, go to school. And so the, the strength of that mission is the connect groups. It's in community groups. Uh, Sunday mornings, I like to say, if you know golf and terminology, Sundays and golf, you, 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 you drive for show and you putt for dough. Okay? Say that with me. You drive for show and you putt for dough. What does that mean? That means, you know, you drive, man, it's, wow, look how far he drove that ball. But if you can't get out your, your, your irons and do the little short game, you know, chip it up and then get it in the hole... All right, you're not going to make any money. In the same way in the kingdom of God, Sunday mornings we come together to celebrate and to gather and hear some teaching, but it's through the week where the battle is, right? That's when you're in the trenches, that I have a small group, your community, your crew that know you and you know them and they know your specific needs. They're praying for you. They're calling you. They're encouraging you and you're encouraging them. All the gifts of the Spirit get to operate in a small group because everybody has opportunity. That's where you become a true disciple is in community. And uh, there's one person I've seen uh, just grow leaps and bounds. When I first met her, I thought, man, I wasn't even sure she was a Christian. But once she got into a small group, I was like, wow, those small groups really work. And that would be my mother-in-law, Miss Brenda. So I've asked me, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. kidding. Miss Brenda came out here and I'm telling you what, she is the salt of the earth. This is my mother-in-law, Miss Brenda, if you don't know her. And she loves her connect group, which is the, uh, 50 and over is what we call it, right? 40 and over, 80 and under, all right? The faithful, the faithful. And, and I asked Miss Brenda if she would tell us a little bit about her connect group and, and what, why it means so much to her. Okay. And she hates doing this, by the way. She said, I will testify if I have to. So. He threatened me with no more food if I didn't come to this. <laughs> When I first was introduced to home groups, uh, I worked at a large church, and we were required to go to home groups. And I went unwillingly. It's like, I don't have time for this. But once I got into it, it was like, this is great. I loved it. And so when I came here, I didn't have to be threatened to go to a home group. Uh, I go to a home group where we meet at Bob and Mary Jane Mesters, and Gary and Kathy are our leaders. Um, one of the benefits I get from the home group is adult conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Those of you, I mean, you know, you know, I'm John's mother-in-law. I live with him and Hope, and there's six children who are hilarious and a lot of fun. But once in a while, you do need adult company. But then the main thing, the main thing I get from the home group is spiritual support. We have, we have fellowship, we have a good time, but we also are able, we pray together, we're able to bring our problems, our needs to the people around us in the home group, and most of the time they can relate, and we pray together, and then later on they'll want to know, okay, how is this working for you? Did it work out? So we, I know I've, I have developed a circle of close friends. Yeah. 
And so when we moved to Ramona, I was asked, are you still going to go to the home group in Penasquita? So you're going to drive all that way? And I never, I mean, I never doubted it. I never one thought, oh, no, I can't go there any longer. They are part of my family. And they are who I enjoy being with. I enjoy being with the rest of you also, but, <laughs> but they are, they're my core group. And so I would encourage any of you to get involved with the home group, whether it's ours for those who are in our twilight years or, or some of the groups for the young mothers, some of the groups for couples or the women's groups. Just get involved in them because I think that you will find that you develop a core group of friends that, that you know are there for you and that are there in prayer for you. And just knowing you have the prayer support is such a help. You just, you feel it. You feel the strength that it gives. Amen. Praise God. Amen. And uh, most of our groups are sermon-based connect groups. And so the messages that you hear on Sunday mornings, you take notes and you think about how to apply them because in your connect groups, the question is, what stood out to you from Sunday morning's message and how are you applying that to your life? And so we are making disciples. You're learning how to walk out the Word of God. So today on Connect Group Sunday, we're opening up a brand new series. We're cracking open a new revelation uh, for us. And we don't know how long we're going to talk on this because it's not a small subject. It is a massive subject and it's a wonderful subject. And that is living life with the Holy Spirit. We're going to do a series on the Holy Spirit and uh, I believe that most of us limit him. And so we want to expand our understanding of the Holy Spirit in this series. We're going to hit it from a million different ways. So let's, uh, let's pray. Let's welcome the Holy Spirit, the teacher, to help me teach and to help all of us understand him so that we can love him, embrace him, and walk with him uh, throughout our lives. So let's, uh, let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we love you in this church. We're not afraid of you. We call you our friend. We want to be yours. We ask that you would illuminate Jesus to us, deliver us from religion and fear, and set us free into a loving, intimate, real, tangible relationship with the Son of God. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. We pray that we as a body of believers would grow spiritually over the next couple of months as we pursue you, discover you, talk about you. We ask for divine encounters, Holy Spirit. You are the source of divine encounters, dreams, visions, words, comfort, wisdom, strength. Help us, Holy Spirit, as we study you. Show us yourself. And everybody said amen. 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 Why are we calling this series uh, Living Life of the Holy Spirit? Because that is what God has intended from the very beginning. Let's look at the first verse of the first book of the Bible together. In Genesis chapter 1, this is an introductory message, so we're just going to, I'm just going to set the table for us to journey together learning about the Holy Spirit. So let's start in the first verse of the first book of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, what was the Holy Spirit doing there? See, the Holy Spirit is not like a, a cast, not, not like a, a character, not like a, a, a character casted in a play who, who enters in the second, the second, you know, uh, stage of the, of, the, of the play, like in the New Testament. Oh, the Holy Spirit. No, the Holy Spirit was there from the very beginning. And when he says he's hovering over, that means brooding. That means the Holy Spirit is waiting and ready to create something. And he's waiting for, can we, uh, yeah, okay, great. So the, the Father God is about to speak. The Bible says we know the worlds were created by the word of God. If you think the Bible was written by man, you've got to get rid of that trash as quick as possible because you will never catch up to the, the exhilarating life that God has created you to live if you don't understand that the Word of God is the Word of God. It's not just a title somebody slapped on the Bible. It's God's living, breathing words. And as you read the Word of God like that, I remember Alan Vincent, who's a spiritual father of this house, an apostle. He's in his 80s. He was an atheistic scientist. When he got saved, he was reading the Bible, and he would chuck out anything that didn't make sense, like, you know, uh, Jonah being swallowed by a whale. And the Holy Spirit interrupted him one day and said, if you don't read the Bible as a factual book and believe everything written in it, you're not going to go very far with me at all. And so he scrapped all of his pessimism and skepticism, and that is when he became an apostle that has rocked three continents and planted multiple thousands of churches over the last 60 years of his life, even raised the dead. I mean, he is off the charts and operating in the power of the kingdom of God. But it all began when he decided to believe that the word of God is the word of God. We cannot insult the spirit of grace and expect us to get much out of the book that he inspired. Can I hear an amen? And so here the Holy Spirit's in the very beginning. God spoke, the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and creates with it. So He created you and I. So first you see the Holy Spirit in the very beginning hovering over creation. The Holy Spirit is the one who distributes heaven's resources into our lives. We must honor Him. But listen, this is so important. He was not only hovering over God's creation, but do you know in the very beginning it also was within God's creation. In other words, we think spirit-filled happens in the New Testament. But do you know Adam and Eve were the first spirit-filled people? Let's go on and read this. And the Lord God in Genesis 2, 7, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. So God fashions Adam and Eve out of the clay, you know, the stuff we push around and we put makeup on and we try to make it look good and hide our wrinkles and all that. We're just clay. That's all we are. We just try to make it look good, tighten the belt a little bit, wear that girdle, right? Whatever we have to do to make our clay look good, but it's still just clay. It's earth. Until the Father comes along and goes, how precious of a scene is that? That God breathes his self into us. Do you think he wants intimacy? Do you think he wants to be in us and be a part of us? It's the same scene we see in the New Testament where Jesus with the disciples in the upper room. After Jesus rose from the dead, he does the exact same thing the Father did on the very first day with Adam and Eve. And that is Jesus went, breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. You and I were never created to live life without the Holy Spirit. 
It is a hard, arduous living if you're living life without the Holy Spirit. He's the one that makes us aware of God. In fact, I want to show you a verse real quick in the, in the New Testament, in the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, it says this in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 9 through 16. It says, because it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. I hate it when that's quoted from pulpits and we all say, yes, that's true. And we identify ourselves in that category of people. We don't know what God has prepared for us. That is talking about people without the Holy Spirit have not seen or heard, nor has it entered their heart the things that God has prepared for them. Because if you ever watch Sesame Street, you under conjunction, junction, what is your function, right? Well, but is a contrast here, right? But, everybody say but. Okay, that is not us. He says, but God has revealed these things to us. Say it with me. Through his spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, just the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Don't just stop reading right there. Because he goes on to say, But now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Can you just say, welcome, Holy Spirit? Come on, we, we've got to let him know that we want him. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man, the man without the Holy Spirit, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. I remember riding in the seat with a professor, a friend of mine, and uh, we were having this conversation. I was only saved a couple of years. And he said to me, I read the Bible. I just don't understand it. I don't understand what it means to be born again. I don't get that. And I'm sitting there. I was 21 years old. I've only been saved two years. And I thought, how can you not understand the Bible? How can you not understand what it means to be born again? That's so simple. And that's when it dawned on me, the natural mind, no matter how educated your natural mind is, it cannot understand spiritual things. He says the Holy Spirit teaches spiritual things. The natural mind cannot understand spiritual things. They are foolishness to the natural mind. Right? Like this uh, Christian uh, apologist was debating an evolutionist on uh, this program. The evolutionist says, I happen to know that the river, um, the, the, uh, the Red Sea, at the place where uh, Moses cross the Red Sea. I happen to know in that time of season, it's actually only about two feet deep. And the Christian apologist said, well, that's even a more, more amazing miracle that God drowned the entire Egyptian army in two feet of water. <laughs> See, it depends on what lens you're looking through. The lens of childlike faith that God can do anything or the natural mind that rejects anything that our rationale can't accept. God gave us our brains to discover him, not to discount him. When we use our brains to take God out of the equation, we have just exalted ourselves, and it's called humanism. Rather than being humble and allowing our brains to be fascinated with God and things that God can do that are beyond things we can comprehend, that's called worship. So I'm going to move on. 
I like to see the Holy Spirit uh, at like this. Whether you're reading the Bible or you're worshiping or, or you're just walking with the Holy Spirit, it's kind of like invisible ink. Like my kids would come to me and they would, you know, be all excited. You know, Daddy, here's a note I wrote to you. And they hand it to me and there's nothing on it. And they're going, right? And then they say, Daddy, come in the bathroom. You know, you come in the bathroom and then they have this like light, this blue, blue light. It's called, and they're shining on it. All of a sudden, you know, it has a daddy, I love you so much, right? It's like, they're so excited because you can see it under the light. That's what the Holy Spirit does to us. He illuminates God to us. That's why you can read the Bible without the Holy Spirit. It's dry and boring. You can read the Bible with the Holy Spirit and it illuminates to you. And these, like these words can jump off the page and just feed your spirit and your mind and you're aware of God. But the Holy Spirit was not just in the very beginning. The first verse of the first book of the Bible, he's also on the last page of the last book of the Bible. Let's read that in the book of Revelations, chapter 22. And the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take freely of the water of life. The Holy Spirit was there in the very beginning of creation. He is there at the culmination of creation. And he's everywhere in between. You read through the Bible, you take out the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you have nothing. It's just dust that just disintegrates. Even Jesus Christ himself, the Son of the living God, said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me too. And then he lists the things he's going to do under the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the Spirit of God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. So the Holy Spirit, even Jesus Christ himself, was completely dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. Even the Son of God himself said, I can do nothing less without, without the Father. He was completely dependent on the Spirit of God. So I want you to understand that you and I are completely dependent on the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we have religion. We have a structure. We have information. We have duty. With the Holy Spirit, we have the life of Christ breathe into us and upon us, and we can do anything under the unction of the Holy Spirit. He's the one that illuminates God to us, and it doesn't stop. Amen? Now this verse that says, uh, let him come to the waters and drink, this brings up the next point, and that is the Holy Spirit comes to us in a plethora of ways. I fear that in our religious circles, we limit the Holy Spirit dramatically. And I mean evangelical and charismatic alike. Uh, to explain evangelical, that would, if we can categorize just for teaching purposes, uh, evangelical would be we, we primarily focus on the Word of God and the, if you go to the extreme, cessationism means that the miracles that happened in the Bible have ceased. Now primarily the Holy Spirit is just in you to develop the fruit of the Spirit or character. So, that is extremely limiting regarding the Holy Spirit's activity in the earth and in our lives. But the charismatic can do the same thing. Those of us charismatic comes from the word charis, uh, which means the anointing, the Holy Spirit, but the charismatic does the same thing. 
Charismatics can put the highest premium. How do we do this? We put the highest premium on shaking and quaking rather than on character. So in other words, some would say the Holy Spirit didn't even show up in the church service unless somebody was shaking on the ground. And yet what about when that person can't even steward their life well? That is not a good testimony. It's not a good testimony of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's the worst testimony to go around speaking tongues and even working in miracles, and yet you can't honor your wife, you can't respect your children, you can't balance your checkbook, you're not a good financial steward, right? I mean, this is foolishness in the name of God. Jesus said it this way. In the last day, there will be charismatics who come to me and say, we prophesied in your name. We did many mighty, mighty miracles in your name. And Jesus will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. How bizarre. You see, so we need to be very careful that we don't put the Holy Spirit in a little box where the charismatics say the Holy Spirit is a shaking and quaking, and that's pretty much the main deal. And the evangelicals say the Holy Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit, and that's like the only deal. We've got to take the doors off of our theology. We can't do this by traditions by fears or by prejudices. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to be the Holy Spirit in our midst. Can I hear an amen? Amen. This is so important as we, in this introductory message, that we allow ourselves to expand in our understanding of the Holy Spirit's activity in our lives. Here's just a taste of some of the ways the Holy Spirit shows up in the Bible. He shows up as water, fire, wind, power, fountain, rain, Oil, wisdom, light, peace, joy, love, a still small voice, a counselor, a guide, a revealer, the spirit of truth. He translates, illuminates, regenerates, and administrates. He encourages, he empowers, he convicts, he saves, and he delivers. He fills, he molds, he transforms, and sanctifies. He's the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and the spirit of might. He's the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. He is the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of holiness. He is the Holy Spirit. I believe we must value both character and charisma. But if I were to choose, I would pick character. Because love lasts forever. The gifts of the Spirit will cease after Jesus returns. You don't need the word of knowledge. You don't need gifts of healing. You don't need deliverance and miracles. You don't even need salvation in heaven. In heaven, it's love forever. So love is the most important thing. And that's why it's sandwiched in between 1 Corinthians 12, which is the gifts of the Spirit, and 1 Corinthians 14, how to administrate the gifts of the Spirit in a public worship service. Some don't like the way we do it, and so they leave. Some like the way we do it, and so they stay. Some aren't sure about the way they do it, and they're checking us out. That's okay. Administration of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is one of the gifts of the Spirit, and every church does it differently. And so we choose, we have felt as elders, how the Holy Spirit has talked to us over the years about how we want to administrate the gifts of the Spirit in our church service. We have a little half sheet out there explaining it. You can talk to us about it if you want. And we're comfortable with the way the Holy Spirit has led us to do it for now. I analyzed Bill Johnson. I analyzed John Wimber. I analyzed Jack Caford. I analyzed Rick, Rick um, Joyner. I analyzed, we analyzed all sorts. And you know what? Everybody's doing it differently. All of these people that I analyzed and we investigated all want to host the Holy Spirit and they all do it differently. The big thing is let's host him. The small thing is how we host him 
And it's up to the leadership to know, to decide how does the Holy Spirit want this church to administrate the Holy Spirit in our church culture. And so we have chosen, and we want both character and charisma administrated with wisdom. So, but whether it is character or whether the Holy Spirit is showing up in our lives as a still small voice or as a rushing mighty wind, I believe his bottom line motivation is to help us. This is the big thought that I want to leave you with today. When Paul talks about the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 14, he says over and over and over again, it's for the building up of, the strengthening of the body of Christ for your life and my life. Whether he's coming to shake you and convict you deep in your spirit with the fear of God because you're completely off the rails, or if he's coming to you with... Just a gentle breath. Just a thought from God. However he comes to you, his motivation is to help you. That's why when it's done in such a way that is unhelpful, we don't want to do it that way. Because it's unhelpful. That's the point. Christ has come to serve. The Holy Spirit has come to serve. And so the Holy Spirit has come to serve you. And there are a few ways he does this, but let's look at how Jesus actually calls the Holy Spirit the helper. These things I have spoken to you, Jesus says, while being present with you, but the, say it out loud. Isn't that interesting that he actually calls the Holy Spirit the helper? So whatever the encounter is, if I can say it again, listen, I have been hit by the Holy Spirit in a public worship service where I cried and cried and cried, slid off my chair, and it was unfortunate on national television, and some of my friends saw it. And uh, I'm on the floor. I was grabbing a hold of the hand of the guy behind me, right? He's a friend of mine, a preacher. And I just had a glimpse of Jesus. It was like that fast in a worship service. We were worshiping, and I just saw Jesus. It was just a vision. It was like that fast. I saw him in Jerusalem walking through the city and his glory. The train was the train of his glory is the best way I can put it was behind him. And I just, whoa, and I went like that. And I just started weeping because I was so overwhelmed. And I grabbed my friend's hand. And after like, you know, 10 minutes, he's trying to worship. He finally ripped his hand out of mine. And I knew, I felt like if, if I was alone, I would be consumed by the glory of God. It was the fear of God. It wasn't, I'm afraid of him, but it was the awe of God. And I didn't want to be alone. And he ripped his hand out and I slid down on the floor and I'm weeping. And my pastor came up to me who was on Oral Roberts' board and said, hey, Oral and Fred Price and a few others, we're going out to lunch. I'd like you to come with us. And I said, I don't want to. Because when you have experienced the presence of God, man is insignificant in that moment. I don't want to be disrespectful. My pastor thought I was an idiot because he's trying to connect me with some movers and shakers on the planet, but I had just been connected with the mover and shaker of the planet. I went back to my hotel room and wept all night. Then the next two days, I laughed uncontrollably. I met my best buddy from high school who was in Oklahoma. We decided to hook up for lunch. I was sitting at the table. The waiter, waitress came over and said, well, would you like a Thousand Island dressing or ranch? And I just looked at her and just burst out laughing. My friend and I couldn't even have a conversation. You know, it wasn't very helpful, but I couldn't help it. And then I laughed for a couple more days. And it was just an encounter with Jesus that I'll never forget. But here's the point. What's the fruit of that? Was it just to laugh for two days? Or is it, let me experience God so that I would be more 
passionate about him and realize how big he is and I want to do more for you and love you deeper and serve you stronger. You see, it's supposed to bear fruit. It's not just to be an experience that ends up becoming an idol in our lives that we can tell people, I had this experience. Nobody goes, wow, what's that worth? It's got to change you. Amen? So whether it's an encounter like that or if it is the Holy Spirit just teaching and it opens your understanding and you become a better Christian, it is purpose is for him to help us. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you, see the Holy Spirit's the teacher, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance, God thoughts, all things I've said to you. So in the moment he brings up thoughts. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world does, I give to you. Let your hearts not be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So he puts, um, the word helper there is parakletos. It literally means to be called along one side. The word signifies an intercessor, a comforter, a helper, advocate, or a counselor. This is one of the best ways I can explain helper. David Drops and I went skydiving. And we went to this class before we got up in this perfectly good airplane to jump out of it. And as we're in this class, they're making you watch like a 45-minute video. Then they're talking to you about it. Then they're talking about the uh, stuff you have to strap on. And they're instructing us. And so that's like Bible teaching, right? They're teaching you about the kingdom of God, about being a Christian, about how to jump out of a perfectly good airplane. So it's all instruction. Then we're going up in the airplane, and I'm kind of freaking out. And I'm thinking, David, why did you suggest we do this? Actually, I brought it up, but he it was quick to respond. He didn't give me any caution whatsoever, any words of warning. And so on the way up, I'm kind of freaking out. And that's the way some of us are in our walk with Jesus, our walk with the Holy Spirit. You're kind of freaking out. And we're walking, going up in the airplane, and then we get to the door of the airplane, and he grabs me, the instructor grabs me, and straps himself to me. Then we jump out of the airplane. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to be to you and I in our lives. He wants to strap himself onto us and in us and say, we are going to do this thing together. Can I hear an amen? And then we jump out of the airplane. Love your enemies. Do good to those who spitefully hate you and use you. Forgive. Give like Jesus, which when, you know, give, he gave his life. These extreme commands that the Holy Spirit gives to us that Jesus gives to us, that we are to operate in, that are so far beyond us. So whether it is loving unconditionally or it is doing the supernatural, even raising the dead, it's all inspired by and fulfilled through the Holy Spirit. You can't even worship Jesus without the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? I'm going to close with these last two verses. I'm going to just finish, uh, skip the rest of my message because I'm out of time. But these last couple of verses are just critical for us to understand. They can't even start right without the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the Holy Spirit's ultimate goal is to help you and I become true worshipers of God. Look at these two verses. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Daddy, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit 
that we are children of God. And this last verse, and because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Daddy, Abba. <laughs> Can we welcome the Holy Spirit in this place today? Would you stand with me and let's, let's welcome the Holy Spirit. This was just an introductory message on the Holy Spirit. Mark is going to bring our first actual topic next Sunday that we'll discover for a while.